Well, hey, this evening for our time in the Word, of course, this is Passion Week. Uh, we have Good Friday is going to be this Friday, and of course, Resurrection Sunday this Sunday. And uh, so this evening for the message, uh, since we are not going to be gathering in any way for services on Good Friday, uh, I wanted to talk about the cross. And I want to talk a little bit about the power of the cross. Uh, the, the, I guess the, the style of the message, the type of message that I'm getting into tonight uh, is a devotional message. So I would encourage you to reflect. I'd encourage you to sit back. Just let the Lord speak to your heart. And uh, specifically, I'm going to be talking about some of the, the persons that were there during the crucifixion and look at the power of the cross in their lives. Isn't it interesting? You know, the cross is a powerful symbol, right? People wear crosses. Uh, people display crosses. Uh, there's a reason that uh, churches have crosses adorning their steeples and in different places in their sanctuary. And the reason is that there is power in the cross to change someone's life. Everything changes at the cross. Can you say amen to that? Let's look at the change that happened in the lives of six of the individuals that were at the crucifixion when Jesus was being crucified on the cross. We're going to start, number one, with the centurion. And in each of them, I want to point out where they started and then at the cross, the change that happened in their life. So we look at the centurion, and he moves from a place of doubt and skepticism to a place of faith. The centurion was one of the executioners of Jesus. It says in Matthew 27, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it upon his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said, and they spit on him. And they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes, and they led him away to crucify him. You know, so let's get a picture for a moment. This centurion was a brutal warrior, capable of carrying out his orders uh, with efficiency, with sadistic efficiency. And he had dealt with criminals for much of his career. Think about what this was like for this guy to be this, this soldier on duty for the crucifixions. I mean, this was just routine for him, all of this barbaric stuff. And by the time Jesus crosses his path, you know, we can imagine how jaded is, is this guy. Uh, events like this probably got to the point where they didn't even phase him, if you can imagine that. And do you think he believed for even a second that Jesus really might be the Son of God? Come on, we know, no way. Uh, but all uh, of that was going to change in, in just a little while, but not until they had exacted even more humiliation on Jesus. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, they divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarments remaining. And uh, this garment uh, was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom, Let's read in scripture. They say, let's not tear it. Let's decide by lot who gets it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothes. So this is what the soldiers did. We read about that in John 19. 
And as if all of this wasn't enough, Jesus, uh, uh, rather Luke tells us that they took their angry doubt even further. It says that the soldiers came up and mocked him. This is Luke 23. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And so like all crucifixions before it, this was a terrible scene full of just incredible cruelty. But this was the crucifixion of Jesus the Christ. And the cross of Christ changes people. And Jesus chose to endure the pain of the cross. We know the Bible says for the joy that was set before him, that you and I would be with him in eternity, that we would be reconciled to God. He endured the cross. And as the centurion sat beneath the cross, he heard every word that Jesus said. Now, you know how we said just a minute ago that this is this is old hat to him. He's been doing this and he's jaded and, you know, it's not phasing him. But something very different is about to happen. He's, he's expecting to hear cursing and anger. He expected, he expected to see Jesus beg and plead for mercy, but he didn't do that. He wasn't like anyone else that this centurion had met. Uh, he wasn't like anybody else the centurion had crucified or even heard about. Jesus was asking God to forgive the men who were crucifying him. And as if this wasn't enough to change the centurion's heart, the earth is shaking, rocks are splitting, uh, <laughs> the world is literally shaking as, as this event is going on. And the words and events of that moment are so powerful that this centurion is moved from doubt to faith. Again, let's read it in the Word. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. But now notice here, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. So there isn't any doubt in the centurion's final statement here. He started skeptical, brutal, just cold, callous. And, and he moves from that to, Surely he was the Son of God. The centurion didn't come to the cross as a believer, but after observing Jesus for just a few hours, he was moved from doubt to faith. The cross changes everything. Let's look at the second individual that we'll look at here tonight, the thief. And the thief on the cross moves from being a sinner to becoming a saint. Hallelujah. The thief was caught again. I say again because the punishment for habitual thievery was death. So this is something that he had been practicing for some time because now for thievery he's being hung on the cross some uh, in his position would maybe argue that this was too harsh of a penalty for thievery. But, you know, the thief makes no such argument for himself. Instead, he finds himself arguing for and defending Jesus. Let's take a look in Scripture. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, led out with Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the other criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, that's the one we're talking about here now, rebuked him. 
Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Through the hours of trials, think about it, right? When we read the Gospels, no witnesses came forth to defend Jesus. I mean, Peter had come to his aid in the garden, but later that night, we know he, he betrays him. He's, he's in fear. He, he abandons Jesus. His friend John remained an observer, but there's no indication that he spoke up and defended Jesus at any of the segments of the trial. But now on the cross, a most unlikely witness emerges, proclaiming the innocence of Jesus, and it's a sinner. <laughs> it's a thief. And instead of proclaiming his own innocence with the shout of, you got the wrong guy, I've been framed, instead he says, I'm guilty and I'm getting what I deserve. And here at the end of his life, a selfish life spent taking whatever he wanted, taking what wasn't his, a life focused totally on his own agenda, he finds himself near the cross of Christ and unusual things happen at the cross. And so able to deceive no longer, this thief repents and he confesses, I'm guilty. And then he begins to reflect on the character and the nature of Jesus. Maybe he looked up and read that inscription that was over Jesus proclaiming him king of the Jews. And as he considers Jesus, he realizes Jesus is not only innocent of wrongdoing, but that he is the Messiah. And he places his hope in Jesus saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Man, isn't this powerful? And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, the guy got saved on, on, his, on his deathbed. He got saved on the cross next to Jesus. What a change the cross had brought into the life of this, this lifestyle habitual thief scoundrel. He had arrived at the cross a sinner and he leaves the cross a saint resting with the Savior in paradise. Man, the cross changes things. Amen? Let's look now three. Let's look at the Apostle John. He moves from being a dear friend. He moves from being, being a friend to being family. John has given up everything to follow Jesus, right? No one can doubt his loyalty to Jesus as he boldly stands before the cross as a loyal and faithful disciple there alongside Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, you know, noticeably absent from this scene and not noticeably absent from the Gospels is Joseph. This is the, the father of Jesus, right? Mary's husband. Uh, and and uh, he has died, right? We realize he has died. The death of Jesus' earthly father had left Jesus, the firstborn son, the responsibility of caring for Mary. And normally this responsibility would pass on then to the next oldest son, but uh, we read in John chapter 7 that uh, it makes it clear at that time his brothers did not believe in Jesus. It says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. So Jesus does just a remarkable thing once again here at the cross. He makes his closest friend an official member of his family. He says, I need you to take my place in caring for my family. Let's look at it in John chapter 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the, the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, you know, pointing over to John. 
and to the disciple. He said, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. You know, just as John was asked to join Jesus' family to care for Mary, how many know that we are together uh, brought into God's family at the cross? When we say yes to Christ and he comes to live in our heart, we move from being friends, moving from being colleagues, moving from being neighbors. We move from that place into truly becoming family. That's why Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.17 that we need to join with others as we follow Christ. Following Christ means we're to be locking arms with each other. So again, a beautiful picture of another thing that happens at the cross. People will move from doubt to faith. Uh, they will move from sinner to saint. And they will move from friend to family. We've been made family. We've been adopted into God's family because of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross changes everything. Fourth person we'll look at here this evening. Just keeping an eye on the time here. All right, beautiful. Uh, we'll just call him the bystander because we don't have his name. Uh, and he moves from spectator to servant. Spectator to servant. Listen to the way one bystander was prompted to move from inactivity to activity, from spectating to servant. This is John 19. Later, uh, you know, and now, now we're moving out to verse 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them, this is just those standing there, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Then when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, interesting how great when someone sees a need and they go ahead and meet it. You know, when we come to the cross and we're reconciled to God through what Jesus did on the cross, there's a mission and there's a purpose that we're to step into and that we're to walk into. And, you know, this faceless, nameless spectator couldn't watch someone suffer and not do anything about it. And when Jesus said, I thirst, he bypassed the guards and they took on Christ's need and he attempted to meet it. That's an example for us. You know, at the cross, we should take on the burden. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that we would be carriers of him to the world around us, that we would be uh, moving from a place of spectating to a place of serving. God's people should be a serving people. Can you say amen? All right, number five, let's look now at Joseph of Arimathea, or Joseph of Arimathea, whether you say tomato or tomato. And he moves from secrecy to boldness. Joseph of Arimathea was pretty quiet about his faith. He was a prominent member of the council, and he knew his affiliation with Jesus was politically incorrect. And knowing not everyone wanted to hear about Jesus, he made sure that he never pushed his beliefs on anyone else. You could almost call him a secret Christian. He was certainly a secret disciple, a secret church uh, Christ follower. Uh, in John 19, now out to verse 38, it says, Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. 
goes on to say, uh, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So that comes from Luke, and that just gives us kind of, you know, some supplement on who this guy was. So, so good man, you, you know, really waiting for God's kingdom, uh, very, very discerning, able to see that Jesus is uh, the Christ, whereas a lot of the religious folks were so blinded by the religion, they miss Jesus. So, uh, but, but he's fearful. He's fearful to be outward in his expression that he belongs to Christ. But look at what happens at the cross. Joseph of Arimathea went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he did give the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So that's a pretty bold public stance for a guy who was very, very timid in the background. Everything changes at the cross, right? Uh, uh, man, the cross is just the place where when we meet Christ, we are just totally flipped from the inside out. We're a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. Before the cross, Joseph was a sheepish lamb when it came to Jesus. After the cross, he's a bold lion. He didn't care what anybody thought. I mean, he asks for the body. He goes, he takes it down. He wraps the body, puts it in the tomb, um, and he's just not ashamed, and he doesn't care. Man, the cross will change everything. I'm going to look at one more person here. Nicodemus, moving from spiritual infant to spiritual maturity. And again, all of these things happen when we're impacted by Jesus and what he did on the cross. He's not still on the cross. He rose from the dead, and that's why he lives in our heart. But we must come to the cross. We must acknowledge because of what he did on the cross and die to our old life and be born again as he comes to live inside of us. Amen? So Nicodemus, spiritual infant to maturity. In the beginning, he had a lot of questions to seek the truth, but uh, in a non-threatening, secretive environment, at least as much as possible. It says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. This raised a lot more uh, of questions from Nicodemus. His first conversation with Jesus was all about spiritual infancy, being born again. But he apparently had investigated what Jesus had said even further, because we see the next time we hear of Nicodemus, he's matured a little bit more. In, in John 7, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard declared. So there, you know, there's, there's a, a scuffle going on about Jesus. And, and the guard's saying, yeah, but did you hear this Jesus, the way he talked? Nobody's ever talked like this. And then the Pharisees say, oh, you mean he has deceived you also? Uh, has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law... 
they've believed him. There's a curse on them. And Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, says, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him and finding out what he's doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. See, they didn't realize that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, just like the biblical prophecies uh, had said. They just knew that he grew up in Galilee, uh, or you know, you know, in Nazareth, and so uh, from from that perspective, he couldn't be uh, who was prophesied. They they didn't investigate. They didn't look at what God could be up to. They didn't believe the works, the signs. They didn't hear the truth that was in what he he did scripturally. Man, they were just so blinded by their arrogance and their religiosity that they completely missed Jesus. But Nicodemus was a guy who had a soft and humble heart. He was like Joseph of Arimathea, seeking the kingdom of God. And so he goes to Jesus, and, and Jesus talks to him about, like, Christianity 101. You must be born again. And now here it is going a little further, and we can see Nicodemus is growing up a little bit in the faith. He's long been a student of Scripture, but now he's growing closer to Christ. And the more he did... Um, the more challenges he's facing, but a closer walk with Christ means a change in our lives. It means growth in our lives. That's maturing. And, and Paul said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 11. So the closer that we get to Christ the more clearly we see what really matters. You know, he was, he, was, he was gaining closeness to Jesus, and now he's seeing less and less like the Pharisees of the day. And he's understanding and he's discerning. For Nicodemus, uh, uh, he was a man who used much of his wealth and influence to maintain a prominent seat on this council among the spiritual leaders now, as he grows closer to Christ and takes a stand, he starts to use his resources to stand for righteousness and to stand for Christ. It says in John 19, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, right? We talked about that a minute ago. He was accompanied, it says, by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds. So one of the hallmarks, church, of maturity is self-sacrifice. In the beginning, he's in a posh setting. He's visiting Jesus at night. He's not wanting to rock the boat. But, you know, learning about spiritual infancy, taking those steps, growing closer to Christ, following his teaching, growing up in him. Now he's maturing. And whenever maturity comes, we stop thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about others. Amen? And he had grown tremendously during the time that he had known Jesus. That's evident because of what we just read here in John 19. In the beginning, he would only see Jesus in secret. Uh, but now, uh, or I should say then, he moved to be a soft voice, but still an advocate for Christ. And now he risks everything to declare his loyalty for Jesus. And he sacrifices a fortune in burial spices. And in spices that he had undoubtedly meant to use at his own funeral someday, he's now giving for the burial of Jesus. A funeral that would be marked by excess is the funeral that was lined up for Nicodemus. 
But now, as a mature believer, he's learned life isn't about me. It's about Jesus. It's not about what I can do to honor myself, but rather, what can I do to honor the King and the Lord? And so he gives the best that he has for his Savior. He puts his earthly power and position at risk to honor Jesus. Man, the cross changes everything. Man, the power of the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, broke every chain, broke every bondage, broke every stronghold that would be over humanity. And this is such a beautiful picture of the, the beautiful work of salvation that, has, that, that happened right here. All of these places of movement and transformation in the lives of people that were there on the literal day of the crucifixion. There's a song from Chris Tomlin, and I, I want to close with this song, and then we're going to pray. Uh, it's called The Wonderful Cross. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> you don't want me to sing it. But I want to read the lyrics, and I would even encourage you, if you're in the environment where you can just kind of close your eyes and just hear the words uh, of this beautiful song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost, and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? or thorns compose so rich a crown. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me to come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And again, the chorus, oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace draw near and bless your name. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's the beauty and the shame. It's the glory and the name. The wonderful cross. Ah, can you say amen? Thank God for that cross. On it, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. On it, the love of God was poured out so that we could be adopted, so that we could be made right, so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be made whole. Beautiful. Amazing. Let's pray. Amen. Father, as we close our time of devotion here this evening, we're, we're in awe. How do we begin to thank you? Jesus, how do we begin to thank you for what you did for us on the cross? In, in looking at just six of the persons that were there that day, Jesus, when you died. What a sweet picture 
of the transformation that's available to anyone that will come and bow their heart and receive the work that you did on the cross, knowing that you died on that cross and then rose from the dead as the firstborn from the grave, that we would live forever with you in eternity. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, those that are viewing this now here tonight, maybe those that would be watching this at, a, at another time, Lord, that we would look and reflect in our own hearts, that we would look and see if there's any place where we have to remember. Lord, you told us to, in that communion meal, remember the shedding of your blood and the breaking of your body on that cross. Lord, that we would remember and Maybe there would be some among us that have allowed doubt to be there, like the centurion, and, and we need to remember so that we will be in faith, in strong faith. Lord, that maybe there are those that would say, uh, I forgot that I've been delivered from sin. Maybe there would be those here tonight that are practicing sin, that need to say, I've been made a saint, and I need to ask for God to forgive me. I need to turn away from my sin. Lord, maybe it would be those who would say, uh, Lord, I've been acting as a friend. I've been uh, a step removed, but you've made me family. And I have to engage my church family, and I need to lock arms with my church family. <clears throat> Lord, maybe there would be those that have moved into spectator mode that would say, nope, that cross means, being what you've done in my life means I have to serve. And Lord, maybe there would be a new commission that would say this evening, Lord, sign me up again. I will serve. I will listen. I will go. I will watch for the needs. I will watch for the place where I can meet the need as, as it comes across my path. Lord, maybe there would be those who would say, I've been living as a secret believer. And I have to return and know that because of the cross and because of Jesus living in my heart, uh, I, I've been made bold as a lion. And maybe, uh, Lord, there would be others that would say, uh, I've, I've been spiritually not growing up the way I should. And life is about me. And I need to grow with Christ enough that life becomes about glorifying the Lord. So, Lord, wherever we are tonight, Lord, we ask, Holy Spirit, help us make application. Help us reverence and honor and revere what was done as, as we will remember this Good Friday. Lord, help us to truly have a fresh working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. So, Lord, I pray your blessing on your people here tonight during this Passion Week. Lord, I do pray that you would do a work, a fresh work in our hearts, fresh love, fresh first love, a renewal of awe and reverence for what you did on the cross. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.